0: Welcome to the Wild Health Podcast, the EU-funded Wide Health Project aims to conduct research on pervasive e-health and establish a sustainable network of research and dissemination across Europe. You can know more about the project on our webpage, widehealth.eu, YouTube or Twitter. Our guest speaker today is Diogo Branco, a PhD student
1: at Faculdade de Ciências da Universidade de Lisboa. He will discuss the challenges and learnings of designing DataPark, a web platform for continuous monitoring of Parkinson's disease. Let's dive in.
0: So, hello everyone. Uh, I'm Diogo and today I'm going to talk about Datapark reflections from a longitudinal deployment of a digital platform for Parkinson's disease monitoring. Um, in more detail, I will talk you about uh, a brief introduction about what is Parkinson and what are how the ecosystem works to evaluate uh, these uh, persons for clinicians and how can technology help um, them to have a better overview of how is uh, all related with this disease uh, then i will move to the data part that was our uh, platform to explore this concept and i will talk to you also about some of the studies that we did in this past year so let me start by giving us A brief overview of what is data pack so it's a platform for continuous monitoring of parkinson's disease that has two main powers, one of it is a is that is a pipeline for data collections on controlled and controlled environments. Uh, It uses an assurometer for objective data collection Uh, and the other power is that is a rich visualization of all the data collected, as you can see on the right, this is an example of a a report we produce with all the data processed and in the, in the way that it's easy for clinicians to understand. Uh, also uh, below on the slide, you can see the, the sensor that we use for collecting uh, objective data, is the activity ax 3 But let's get a few steps back and understand why was that part created. So uh, approximately 1% of the world population suffers from Parkinson's disease. And the main um, the the main problems that uh, are related with these are the tremors that can affect the hand movements uh, are the slowed movements uh, for for example by the dyskinesia that uh, in specific related with w- walking and the gait uh, it slows down uh, the movement of these people so and with the increase of the disease stage is something that will um, decrease the the quality uh, when regarding the the walking. Another one is the impaired balance and posture. So it's difficult for these people to maintain, for some of these people to maintain the the balance. And this can influence also uh, other related problems. As for examples, uh, they tend to fall. And this, of course, if there is uh, no one uh, on their side can lead to a, a major problem. Uh, and also, uh, the symptoms on this disease tend to fluctuate a lot during the day and do, during the, the long periods uh, of a year and, a, and all of this. It. And it's very relevant to understand all of these situations, because in these fluctuations are most of the systems that happen and not only when these uh, persons go to an evaluation. But how are they evaluated? So most of it is in controlled environment evaluations where, an euro, where a person goes to a, an appointment with a neurologist and the neurologist tries to assess what, how is the current is this stage uh, uh, by asking questions and other relevant assessments. But it's not all in that. It's uh, the sum of all the areas. So uh, physiotherapy, it evaluates motor impairments, psychology that uh, evaluates cognitive malfunctions, so all of this sum up gets like the picture of how is this person uh, at the current stage and what areas should we address it to improve uh, their, their symptoms and their, their quality of life in general. Uh, one of it is physical evaluations. So try to understand what are the uh, motor uh, problems that this person had, that is related with gait, that is related with balance. So there are a couple of assessment, pre-related assessments. That evaluate all of this, and also another important point is act as a rehabilitation. So do exercises to improve uh, how a person walks or how a, post- a person maintains his posture. And one of the assessments are the physical ones, but there are also some validated questionnaires that try uh, to capture other uh, things related with the cognitive aspects. With how a person was when they are outside of a controlled environment, and all of this is part of the all the areas that evaluate uh, Parkinson's uh, disease patients. Uh, but how about what they covet about uncontrolled env- environments? Uh, as I mentioned, it is uh, mostly uh, is based on questionnaires. Some of them when they go to that appointment and uh, fill out uh, uh, like uh, how was the how is the degree of independence in the, in the activities of the living? How was their overall um, uh, disease stage? So, uh, try to understand a different bunch of aspects related with the disease with these private related questionnaires. Uh, but also, sometimes they can be prescribed some questionnaires to be filled at home and try to, uh, in a day by day basis, uh, try to understand what is happening with that person. Another point is uh, also the clinicians uh, can ask additional questions from the ones that are prevalidated, like what was the major symptoms that you felt uh, between appointments uh, and try to get more information about this. Uh, of course, this uh, the patient, uh, regards to recall, to try to uh, explain uh, what were the major symptoms. Uh, and sometimes they also can hide information so it's not uh, not all the things will be captured with these questions and the, these and these questionnaires. It's gives just uh, the best overview possible. So, like I mentioned before, this uh, this disease tends to the symptoms tend to fluctuate a lot. So it's very important to have all of this information or try to address all of this information to for the clinicians to take better decisions regarding medication, regarding rehabilitation, uh, to improving the quality of life of these persons. So that said, our two research questions were uh, how to continue with monitoring patients in uncontrolled environment. So uh, as as I said, uh, in the controlled environments, there are already uh, prevalence assessments that try to capture uh, when people go to evaluations. But the part that is related when when people are at their daily lives and where most of the uh, fluctuations happen, more of the symptoms tend to happen, uh, there are not uh, an objective way of, of doing it, and also the the subjective way, like I mentioned, are uh, regarding problems with recall and people. Uh, it's not easy to get all this information. So our first question is to how can we continuous model these patients? And the other relevant aspect is after collecting of all of this information, processing using uh, the appropriate algorithms how can you give meaning to this data using the rich visualizations that clinicians need? Because they have um, uh, less time to, to try to process all of this information. So it's difficult for them in an appointment of five minutes or 10 minutes to try to uh, give meaning to a data that it's not in the adequate format, that, that we, they will not have time to do it. Another aspect, for example, when we started this collaboration, uh, one of the neurologists said, okay, I know that there are sensors that provide raw data, but how can I benefit from this raw data? How can I give meaning to this raw data? And this is w- another one of the challenges. But now let's go in more detail and understand what is really data part. So Uh, This is the the aspect of of our platform. So it's just in this case is an example of the patient profile, a fictitious patient profile, as to show you that the the amount of information and the the outlook of our page. Let's now get in detail in the different aspects. So regarding the controlled environments, our goal was to support the clinical evaluation. We don't want them to change the kind of assessments they do how they do it. We just wanted to add an extra layer to it. Uh, and like an optional step, can, they can benefit for having more information about the current assessments they already do. To do this, uh, we use accelerometer uh, sensors, activity, like I mentioned before, in both wrist and lower back. Also, we have an Android application that I will explain uh, in more detail. And the also some of the questionnaires they are also in a digital way. Regarding the Android application the main goal is, was to support, in this case, the physical evaluation. So to support the, the physiotherapy area that do these kinds of evaluations. So what they had at the time was just pen and paper and a chronometry, because some of the exercises needed to be, uh, the time needed to be measured to obtain the final score and get the assessment uh, for that uh, task uh, for each, for that patient. Uh, so what we do is first get all of this in an application also with the goal of having, having annotated data for the objective data being collected. So if we don't have this, that extra step, we only had the objective data, but you didn't know what we were not able to extract specific information about each one of the exercises. So uh, what we have also is some flex, some degree of flexibility so they can choose what kind of exercises they wanted to, pre- to perform, don't need to follow an order. They can also have more metadata information. So the reason why a person was not able to do some kind of exercises, and this tends to happen a lot, especially with persons that has a high degree of the disease, because sometimes they are not able to perform some of the exercises requested. And also to adapt to the constraints of having this application in a real world, we had to add some uh, extra layers of for example supporting the on offline mode so they don't have to need uh, to have access to the internet to uh, fill out and do all this pipeline because as i said in a real world environment they 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 have to do this immediately they don't have time to repeat this again and again if something went wrong so we need to support all of this and adapt to the constraints uh, of uh, this specific pipeline Another one is the digital questionnaire. So the other areas uh, like uh, uh, nutrition, speech therapy, uh, also um, wanted to have like these, uh, their questionnaires on a, a platform or integrated with Datapark. And what we saw is that, okay, we can add these other questionnaires, but if they need some kind of changes or if they need to adapt some of it, they will always be depending on someone with technological background to do it, so what we did was give this authority to the end user, so we created a mechanism uh, for them to create their own. Uh, questionnaires as they wanted a similar mechanism, as you can see on the Google forms when you create your questionnaires is a similar approach, so we drag and drop boxes uh, and decide what kind of questions and what kind of content, you want in them uh, also. If they notice that something is not as expected when uh, applying that, uh, uh, that questionnaire, they can edit it in real time. Uh, also, of course, passing from the paper to a digital approach, this can, this gives them also um, the possibility of a better comparison between different evaluations. Now they can uh, have access to the difference between uh, what happened in the past 10 evaluations and how is the current state now without needing to uh, manually uh, go to all the papers of the different questionnaires people feel when go to these evaluations. Regarding the uncontrolled environments, what we did is support con- a continuous monitoring by using a spherometer sensor, both in wrist and lower back. Uh, some examples of data that we extract is the xvm to get an overview uh, of the degree of um, physical activity that a person has. And also regarding the sweep, for example, understand the number of wake-ups or if the person has uh, some kind of perturbance during their sweeping. The other expert uh, that I want to talk to you about is the dashboard for the visualization so the other part, the other research question that we wanted to address so from now, on, I want to talk to you about how does the data collection process works. But uh, this one is also a very relevant step that how to show this information to clinicians. So here I have two examples of a free weaving report and a laboratory report that in this case is uh, on the specific exercise of C210 that adapts the metrics to these specific exercises. And in the free weaving one, people can choose what kind of information they want uh, what uh, periodicity they want to see if by day, if, uh, by week, uh, depending on the met on the specific metric. Also, as you could see in the beginning, there is a summary dashboard that has the a summary of all the information from a patient and also some uh, visualizations. And all of this also allows a comparison of different assessments, for example, different questionnaires that are filling in different periods of evaluation. Um, this is another example of uh, how to collect uh, data in a non-controlling environment. Uh, so what we did here was if if there is the need to, feel a, to a patient to feel a questionnaire uh, when they are uh, at their homes, at their lives, uh, how can we support this throughout technology? So again, we did uh, a tool for the, the clinicians to build uh, their own workforce. So a similar approach to the one of creating questionnaires. Now here, they can choose uh, the questions they want to be applied or the questionnaires they want to be applied and define uh, according to um, to the answer of, of it. if it's yes or no, they can define different paths for the, the for to be uh, new questions or uh, new things to be added. I can give you an example, for example, if, Together with the, the bracelet, if we detect there is a freeze of gate, for example, uh, the, the workflow can define that the question is prompted to the user or an automatic call to a emergency service or to a doctor or to a relative can also be part of this workflow. Uh, but getting back again to the, to the example of a question, if the question is, How was your day? the clinician can choose, uh, for example, to apply this for a period of a week every time, every day at two o'clock uh, to this uh, question to be answered. Uh, this then is, uh, gets to the, the patient throughout two mechanisms. One of it is an application where they receive a notification and can uh, answer to, to, to these questions or uh, what is prompted to them. Uh, another one is using an automatic call system. So we support this throughout an EVF system. So an invoice voice response system That is basically an interactive menu where people can choose uh, the the numbers and answer to the questions or just use uh, also speak to the the, the phone and we record the audio and that is also information that is used then for the clinician to decide. Uh, So this allows flexibility to the clinic and to choose what and when is being applied to his patients. Uh, Just summing up about the DACA collection and the data set, so uh, we have three years of real-world deployment since 2019, and in that period, we have more than 900 subjects uh, with more than uh, 150 gigabytes of data that came from in the wild data collection, annotated data, the ones that you saw that are uh, specific to the exercises being uh, used in the physiotherapy assessment. And also some data sets that we uh, have annotated for specifics for specific studies and some of them I will talk uh, more in more detail in the next slides. But why to do a longitudinal deployment. So uh, let me uh, explain you how to design designing technology in healthcare has a lot uh, of constraints. Uh, of course, designing technology in, in general it also has, but in healthcare specifically, uh, we have not only to address the users that we use this kind of application, in this case the clinicians, but also having considerations that they are dealing with the patient, uh, someone that sometimes they will have to deal with decisions that affect uh, their life and their future. and this needs to also be taken in consideration. So uh, what I want to say is that the specifically in the healthcare, you should be, uh, the end user should be involved in the process of design since the beginning until the end. For example, in the prescribing 10,000 ten steps like, like aspirin, uh, what they did was a user-centered design of an application for clinicians where they started from interviewing them uh, at the beginning to understand what was their needs and then move it to, uh, having them involved in, in the phase of prototyping and also to validate the application, the final prototype uh, at the end. Uh, another example is the designing a facing two. So, in this case, they uh, they, they use an iterative design uh, uh, approach with clinicians with a long period of time, with six months uh, of an application. To get data from patients uh, from patient social media activity and the main outcome here is again they. Uh, the clinicians the users were uh, involved in the design design of the application, since the beginning, and this helped to minimize the qu- clinicians workloads. Uh, another different example is the ones about report robot deployment in long term care, in this case. They used a case study on on using a mobile robot to support physiotherapy. And this was a long-term deploy in a uh, um, a care care center. Uh, That was more than a year when they used this uh, robot to support the physiotherapy uh, 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 rehabilitations of these older adults. And the goal here is they want what they did with this study is not just adapt um, the, the robots uh, in uh, real world deployment, but also uh, what the, the, the output of this is address the challenge of the real world, based it not only on the experience from the researchers? So what they were not in this uh, long-term deploy, but also uh, the ones from the caregivers and the measure of the two uh, gives uh, more information uh, about uh, ha- the constraints of maintaining uh, these kinds of long-term deploys. So it's it's not only from the technology point of view, but also the constraints that the caregivers need to adapt to having this extra technology in their uh, daily uh, daily approaches with the, the patients. Uh, the last one that I want to mention it's the the human body is a black box that it's a deep learning uh, model to support clinician decision-making in the hospital for people with sepsis. Uh, here, uh, they, not, then, they not only try to get an understandable, understandable AI model at the end, but they also, again, incorporated the clinicians since the, uh, the process of designing. So what they explain here in detail is the means and goals for getting fair, accountable and transparent machine learning values from the design uh, until the practice and the usage in the real world. So the the main thing that uh, I want to focus is that we should design for people with people. So like the examples that I mentioned before, uh, you should try to incorporate uh, uh, your end user as soon as possible in the design process because you will benefit from having his input. He's, He's a domain expert and also at the end, you have a prototype much more richer with their input that without them. Uh, we did this in data park, as uh, we mentioned this in the next slides. How was the, the process and the studies that we did? But we try to do this with data park, in having a close collaboration with the clinicians and trying to involve them as soon as possible in the design process. Also, if possible, try to do embedded research, like right? the example on the robots. That the, the researchers were also in some of the sessions, and this helped them to adapt their technology to the constraints in, uh, on the real world. So, it, of course, uh, having the input from the questions is essential, but having the opportunity to be uh, there and see the environment and see some constraints and how the technology can adapt to them it's also very important. Uh, again uh, with data park we had this opportunity to be part of some of the physiotherapy evaluations and see uh, the different um, points that they have to take in consideration when doing an evaluation so they have to look to at first pen and paper now and uh, and a smartphone application then they have to uh, perform that evaluations and also and more important to look out to the patients if something bad can happen to them they have to be there random for example if i are doing a balance exercise uh sometimes they tend to uh lose their balance and this can lead to a fall so it's important and these constraints help us in the case of data park helps us to build a better technology so the final message is when designing for healthcare is even more relevant these two points of designing for people with people with people and doing embedded research so now let me focus in some of the studies uh, that you did uh, that we did in these uh, past years so first let me talk about uh, designing for reports uh what was a, one of our first studies uh, that is div- was divided in two parts first of all is trying to understand the clinicians needs so what they wanted uh, what kind of information they wanted what they see Uh, that should be uh, the the data and some prompts about how can this uh, be visualized. visualized. Uh, So what we did was a focus group with five participants from different areas, from their neurology, uh, physiotherapy and nursing. Uh, And the main goal was to feeling and discussing about different countries in the boards that you can see some examples at the, at the, the picture on the right. So the, the one about devices was uh, for them to see what are the devices they uh, out see that have potential to collect information about this disease. So of course, they mentioned uh, smartphones, uh, sensors or meter sensors, but there are others like having a sensor on a pen to try to measure um, how a person is writing or having uh, also on the TV remote uh, to capture these fluctuations uh, related to tremors that the disease has. Uh, another point is related with activity. So, what kind of activities they see potential to be measured and they are relevant for this disease? Uh, they talk about uh, sweeping, um, physical activity in general, but also some activities of daily living, uh, like uh, washing the dishes or do the laundry. Uh, then we asked them to uh, go in more detail about each one of these activities to mention what kinds of data they wanted from them. For example, regarding the sweep, they mentioned uh, the ones related with uh, knowing the number of cups a person has or how much changes in the sweep positions they have, because in case of Parkinson, uh, this is relevant to have this information. At the end, we asked them to draw a possible report, um, as most of them just enumerate the data points they wanted uh, to have. So the data they wanted to have in the different uh, areas. Uh, and finally, because we had, of course, a constraint of time in this in this first study, uh, there was a lot of interest from the part of the clinicians. And then we decided, okay, let's now move this discussion to digital boards. We at the time used a travel. First, we passed all of these um, paper boards to the digital ones. Uh, and then, giving uh, opening this to not only the ones that participated uh, on that focus group, but also other clinicians that could contribute uh, with that. Uh, our major findings were. At sweep gate and physical activity metrics were the most relevant uh, for clinicians. Um, at the digital boards, it emerged a, a, a different one, a different board. It is the scenarios one, when where we asked it uh, to describe a situation and anticipate what could be the possible outputs. An example is the freeze of gate detection. So. If uh, uh, the phase of gate is detected, then we can add uh, according to that. So, uh, call to an emergency service, call to a relative, or, or just uh, ask uh, posterior confirmation with these patients to validate also the data collection process. And also, just try to help these people to overcome that situation, trying to use the same mechanisms that the, the physiotherapists use in controlled environments. And of course, it informed the reports uh, design process that followed. Uh, then the next step was co-designing these reports with the clinician. Uh, it was like uh, a couple of months to design all of this since the first prototype, the first discussions that happened. And then we together uh, designing uh, the, the final prototype. You can, uh, the examples were the ones that you saw uh, in the previous uh, slides. Um, and what we, what we did at the time to validate this was deploy uh, Data Park and specifically this free living report for two months in the clinic. Uh, we collected data from 22 uh, patients uh, that used the spherometer sensor during seven days and had also pre and post rehabilitation evaluations that uh, are the ones that are performing in a controlled environment. At the end, we did semi-structured interviews with clinicians uh, with the goal of uh, understanding if the reports are useful in the clinical practice, and also if uh, using sensors during all this clinical practice makes some kind of disturbance uh, of the current assessments. So the major findings were that patients enjoying to have an overview of how uh, their week was, so especially regarding the it expenditure during the levels of activity uh, that foot weight uh, during that, that period of time. Also, the clinicians reported there were no changes in taking care of patients by using sensors. That was one of our concerns and one of the things that we wanted uh, to understand with this study. And also that the functional reports were of easy comprehension. Uh, so if you want to know more detail about this, we have a publication uh, that is uh, noted below in this way. Uh, then also informant for the uh, from the first study, we move it to and gate uh, with an expert system approach. So what we did was using state of the art algorithms that was based on wave votes and initial contact and final contact approaches and then try to validate uh, uh, validated our algorithm, and then move it to a study uh, where the focus was trying to see if the, the tech that is one of the best indicators for this disease, what is the relation of gate with uh, this indicator that is uh, being used by uh, clinicians to evaluate this disease. So what we did was collecting data from 24 participants that use an asphorometer on the lower back. Uh, they use it in a free weaving, uh context uh, three days for three days this device and also had supervised assessments at the beginning and at the end that consisted on performing two tests time up and go that is when a, a person starts sitting down seated down, then stands up, do a walk, do a turns, uh, do a walk again and sit down. Uh, and also the 10 meter walk assessment. So uh, our uh, main findings were that in the free-weaving context, the step uh, symmetry seems to provide a more realistic picture uh, of the impact of this disease uh, in Parkinson's disease when compared uh, to uh, the tech. Also that the length of the walking bouts So the, the different, what we did is dividing these walking bouts uh, by time. So less than 50 seconds, or than 60 seconds. And then try uh, to see if there was like some kind of correlation or some differences in the different lengths of the walking boats and what we discover uh, is that that the longer the walking bouts are the higher the velocity and length of stride and step and vo- and the lower canvas this variability and the symmetry uh, regarding the supervised assessments the step went was the one uh, that the Parents with were the have the best ability to predict the tag. So, in supervised step went and free living the step time, they were the ones that can better predict what is the result of tag. That is one of the most of the assessments uh, that is used by clinicians. Uh, again, if you want to know more about this, uh, you can we have this or more detail in, in our paper that it's again uh, below. Uh, so now we, uh, more recently, we started to try a different approach that is uh, looking to uh, machine learning, to machine learning gate detections, but uh, trying to compare uh, the one general model that uh, has a trends a data set and that's applied to uh, having a personalized approach, individually for each one of the uh, the, the participants. In this case of Parkinson. It's because of the diff- the fluctuations that happen during the day, even in the same person. Uh, it's uh, well, one of the questions that we had: if this personalized approach could have better results in detecting gait. Uh, so what we did was collecting a data set with 20 participants with neurological conditions, so Parkinson's disease and stroke. We have 10 hours of that annotated, uh, that classifies uh, between gait and non-gait events. Uh, what we did was apply deep deep learning general and personalized models to neural networks and conventional neural networks, and our goals were uh, to see the what is the impact of personalized versus general models, and why and when should personalized model should a personalized model be used. So these are our results. So uh, the personalized model increases the accuracy uh, in average. 3.5 on neural networks with a maximum uh, increase of 16.9%. And regarding convolutional neural networks, it was in average 5.3% with a max of 20.5%. There are a few cases where this de- the personalized model decreases the accuracy. So our findings were that high improvements for participants on the extremes of the spectrum of motor impairment so the ones with lowest performance scores or the ones that had good overall scores were the ones that have the the higher improved that benefits the most from having a personalized approach so we use a English scale to evaluate the degree of, that evaluates the degree of independence of activities of the revive uh, mini best that evaluates uh, the balance For both stroke and Parkinson's disease, and to evaluate uh, PD participants, we use them, the SUPDS. And uh, what uh, we achieve with this is that uh, personalized models are good for these uh, extreme cases. And also uh, that personalized models are good for increasing the accuracy of the outliers on on a data set. Uh, if you look to, for example, this data set or data science in general, of course, there will be outliers. And maybe they will benefit more of, hanging, of having a personalized approach compared to applying the general one. Uh, and also, uh, another take takeaway is that uh, when for micro uh, gate features, for example, the step asymmetry, the impact of the wrongly classified bouts can be potentially huge. So if uh, the amount of uh, wrongly classified bouts uh is uh high enough can affect the the decisions that the clinicians uh, may have uh, looking throughout this metric so it's important to have the best accuracy possible and also uh, sometimes finding significant data sets for every type of population it's not easy so maybe for the cases that you don't have a huge data set using a personalized approach can have uh good results good accuracy results as we show it in this study of course uh, to have uh, really um, better uh, informed about this we need to test uh, all of our pipeline with a uh, a data set even bigger now i'm moving to a a different approach that is uh, regarding the visualization of data so it's one of our most recent studies uh, that what we're looking for with this, is trying to understand if in the different, what are the differences that have in the different areas of evaluation of a patient. So, uh, nurse three speech therapy, nutrition, physiotherapy, psychology and occupational therapy. So what are the, the the data that each one needs and how are the similarities between these areas? So we did six sections, one of three with, with different areas. Uh, in total, we had uh, 15 participants. And our goals was by one side, understand how their clinical evaluation now works. So what kind of uh, data they collect now, what kind of instruments they use to collect this data, but also to understand if they see potential, what other uh, data they see potential to be collected. And if there was no limitations in uh, budget and uh, technology, what were their expectations of information they wanted to, they wanted to have. Uh, and also at the end, we asked them to uh, develop their ideal dashboards individually, uh, by, so get based on the data they wanted to be collected, how that should be organized, and also to help them. We used some uh, magnets with examples of visualization. So if a data should be a progression or should be a comparison, uh, just to help them uh, to inform us better of how they want that data uh, what we expected to find was the different types of data the different te- instruments so if they wanted to use or if they use a smartphone a sensor a questionnaire pen and paper to collect uh, all of these informations and also the different methods they use if it's a controlled or uncontrolled environment if it's objective or subjective data so uh, in the on the right you can see an example of a dashboard in this case that was built by the physiotherapy area. As you can see, they used the magnets to inform us about uh, how the data should be present and also so the data and the organisation they wanted uh, from all the data, both on controlled and uncontrolled environments. Uh, so our our findings about this study were that there was a between controlled and controlled environments. So most of the areas focus on uh, collecting data from uh, controlled environments. Uh, so when people go to their uh, evaluations and they collect all the data they need, but uh, apart from the, the subjective data they collect from the questionnaires about the controlled environments, and in specific in the area of physiotherapy, That they also use sensors to continuous monitoring of the disease. The other areas don't use uh, objective data collected from uncontrolled environments, but they all see potential in using sensors and using other kinds of mechanisms to collect uh, data from these contexts. Uh, Also another point is the different similarities and intergenerities between the different areas. So nursing, for example, is the central point uh, in all, of all the areas. So all the demographic data, all the phasology data that is being collected is done by this area. So all the other areas benefit from having this kind of knowledge also uh, in a digital uh, dashboard and having access to this instead of having to ask uh, to all uh, the, their colleagues. Also, there are some areas that uh, are seems to be different, but are interested in the same data points. For example, nutrition and speech therapy, uh, both want to know more about uh, how is uh, related with the throat, related with how people eat. So they have points in common. And another example is the one regarding psychology that is more interested in cognitive uh, impairments uh, and uh, uh, physiotherapy that is more interested in motor impairments. However, uh, some of the exercises that uh, psychology uh, asks patients to do uh, will benefit from knowing if a person has uh, tremor problems because it will affect uh, the ability to perform these exercises and they need to be adapted. Uh, Another uh, last point is the barriers to technology adoption. So, for example, we, uh, we know that nursing is not using any digital questionnaires. So they only regard to pen and paper and write down all the, the things they evaluate uh, when uh, seeing a patient. Uh, and we need to understand and we understand how why they don't use uh, this technology. One of the reasons is the time. So they don't have time to use a platform. So maybe the platform and a dashboard needs to be adapted uh, to these constraints in time. It's to be easy to be filled, not only easy to be visualize it. Uh, And that said, we there are some barriers to this uh, technologies adaption that need to be considered when building these dashboards. So uh, I finish. Thank you all for listening to me. Uh, I'm now open to questions.
1: Thank you for uh, the variety of different projects. And uh, there's a lot of things here to to talk about. So I opened the floor. Does anyone have question for you? Uh, Hello,
2: uh, I have a minor question. First of all, can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so
0: Diego, thank you very much. It was a very interesting talk. Uh, I am curious a little bit about the personalized model. So what input or what kind
2: of uh, variables you put into personalized model,
0: which you didn't put into the general model. So. Okay. So this is is a a project in collaboration. So that part, uh, I don't have now the the details in here, but uh, we we will publish this soon. So there will be present. So that part, I. I don't, I cannot now uh, answer to a question at the moment. Yeah, sorry.
1: I, I think I can talk a little bit. So for the inputs to the um, uh, to the neural networks and the, uh, the CNN uh, are still the the axis, raw values and SVM. So we, we use traditional features. What we do is that after, uh, or the, the option, or the approach that we chose for personalization was um to have a general model but then fine-tuning it having a step where you, you train it again with individualized data uh with a, a small set of individual you know, of personal data uh, to achieve a personalized model a model that, that values more of the of the um, that person's uh patterns and so um yeah that i think i hope it answered your question
2: that's probably yeah, the best. that makes sense that makes sense thank you thank you uh i would like to ask something if i may uh
1: yeah meet you. Well.
2: so i i kind of believe that uh, proper machine learning methods proper data analysis methods can uncover all sorts of interesting things in the real life data uh, that's being collected. Now, of course, I'm a little biased here, but nonetheless, I I think this is the case. Uh, However, when you speak with uh, health professionals about what they would like to see in your application, uh, they probably have difficulty imagining what you can do with with this data. And it's also difficult for you probably to tell them what you can do if you don't know what they want. So how, how do you deal with this?
0: So, yeah, uh, I can give you an example. So the last study that we did with dashboards, uh, it tries whether address what we are saying. So it's try to have an activity that will be easy for them. In this case, just tell us about their current practice. And from that, we can extract the information that we need. So, oh, they want this kind of data or they wanted to have this kind of data. And then passing to that second activity of designing some dashboards, they can rationalize what they imagine, how the information should be. So that help us, of course, we are the experts in that domain and we'll take the decisions about visualization, but we have information about, okay, they want like this in a progression. So for them, it's important to have the notion of the different evaluations or the different variations in this uh, value. So I think that the rationale is trying to have activities uh, have with the people that will be easy for them to express, for example, designing or using post-its uh, in, a, in a white folder and that kind of stuff helps people to design in the abstract. And also the example is, for example, if you can have like cards and play like as it was a game, like you have different kinds of devices to be collected and the people have to choose, okay, I want this device, I want this device, then do like playful activities with the people uh, to help them uh, to get us where you want to want to know uh, all these informations, but you need to get like abstract activities to get this output and not ask them directly because otherwise, like you said, it's difficult for them to get us the information that we we want. Uh,
2: thanks.
1: I, I, I think I have a follow up and I, I probably Diogo go as examples. Uh, but I think so, one, one of the things that we notice is that by, by having a platform being used in real life, it's a, it's a, it becomes a dialogue. So we don't know what they need and uh, to to the full extent, and they don't know what technology can give. But every time we deploy something that is a little bit more advanced than what they were used to do, uh, the the discourse and the dialogue changes a little bit. And we hear several times saying, oh, but if you can do this, would you be able to show us this? And so and it, it happens the same on our side. Every time we see them, Applying something or looking for some kind of data, we also look and understand. Okay, but if you want this, would this be useful? And so, uh, I think that's having the, that's the power of having uh, uh, in doing embedded research and having uh, uh, longitudinal deployments. Is that uh, we have uh, a conversation going on, and I, I think we somehow converge. It, it it's the i think that the things that yogo was talking about were more uh, when we really don't know and we want to discover something we do activities that try to abstract some of these things and make them like everything is possible now let's let's imagine the, there are no barriers but I, I i think that even just by having the platform and doing even small advances or showing what the current models, what we, the type of activities we could uh, uh, discover, for example, and the type of, of information we can give, then they come back to us with more, asking for more, asking for some tweaks that we didn't think of, and so I think that that dialogue is the way to to go. And I think my question to Diogo is, uh, if you can remember of remember situations where this where this happened, and, and we kind of continue doing. Things or change a little bit the things that we are doing to accommodate new needs or new things that they learned that maybe we could do.
0: Yes, one example of this is the, the one that I mentioned, for example, the digital questionnaires that at the beginning were not part of Data Park, but then as one of the areas was using an application, they also saw that, okay, it, it was good if we can have this in a digital way, and then we. Uh, also integrated that with other parts, so it, it's that kind of uh, flexibility, that kind of ongoing uh, development that helps uh, to address the, the the needs that clinicians uh, may have.
1: One last question, anyone?
3: I have one question. Thanks for the excellent presentation, Dior. I wanted to ask you something about going for usual care. So uh, at the moment people were using these bracelets. Do you have plans for how that could play out in usual care? Would people still use the bracelets? And I had like a very small attached question to that is whether there will be some difficulty if people suddenly have uh, moments where they don't understand so much because uh, they don't know all the details about what was happening. Uh, And if you could talk a bit about that.
0: Could you just uh, rephrase the first part? Sorry.
3: So how do you see this going for usual care? Um, So it was for a pilot, right? Two months, people using this. Would this work for continuing in clinical care? Would you need to make adaptations?
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, I wasn't so clear in the presentation, but uh, after that two periods of months of deployment, this is being used at the clinic for three years. So we also have that kind of uh, feedback from the person. So it's uh, yeah, it's an it's an ongoing collaboration. So it's sometimes it's it's difficult because sometimes to it, it have from the other side some things that uh, are not working as expected, and we have to adjust this. So. It's not always easy to maintain this for a long term. Uh, you have periods where you have to, of course, always listen to the persons and try to improve your applications. But yeah, it's possible. And uh, we are doing this with Datapark. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think it's, the message is that, that it's really relevant to have this and it's, it's possible to have it.
3: And And what kind of
0: hardware are people using now? Uh, as okay. it continues
3: in clinical care,
0: so they are using activity uh, as uh, continuous monitoring uh, as a parameter for continuous monitoring, and also uh, in the case of the clinicians, they use uh, a web platform and also a smartphone application. Okay, thank you.
1: Okay, so uh, and with that. Uh, I want to thank again Diogo for the presentation and thank everyone for, for coming. Uh, as with other seminars, we now have a YouTube uh, channel where all these presentations are made available. So you can search for White Health Seminars and you, you are able to see any of our past presentations. Uh, they are also available as podcasts in your uh, podcast application. Uh, and in the near future, uh, in, in two weeks, we'll have another event. And again, you, if you uh, have provided your email, you'll receive an announcement of that seminar. Thank you all for coming and see you soon.